listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. We have another very... (laughs) As you can tell, we have another lady in the Ladies Lounge today. Super exciting. We have a conversation with creatives episode. It has been a while since we've had a creative. Yeah. We've had a lot of other ladies, but not creative ladies. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be really fun. We have another Lutheran lady that may be familiar to some people in our listening audience. And if not, you're going to want to be familiar with her after this. So Erin, who are we talking to today? Today, we have Anna Hart joining us. And if you are familiar with Anna, there's a good chance it's through her Anna's Threads sewing business. You can find it on Facebook. We'll give you more information at the end of the episode so that you can seek out all of her stuff and see what we're talking about. But we are excited to have her on here. You know, I feel like it has been a frequent topic that comes up, or at least, yeah, it's a frequent topic that comes up in the Facebook group where people are asking questions about making stoles, Mm -hmm. about making pyramids, just about things that I would categorize as <laughs> liturgical sewing. But honestly, that's sort of a loose categorization on my part. So before I give you a chance to like introduce yourself at all, because I've <laughs> shortcut that part of the conversation, we'll circle back. Uh, why don't you start, Anna, by telling us, <laughs> sorry. We're just jumping right in. It's fine. Uh, we're just jumping right in. Tell us I mean, is liturgical sewing a thing? And if so, what is it? Good question. Um, (laughs) So first off, I have never had the opportunity to have any formal training in what I do. So if any, you know, for all the people saying, my husband's a pastor and he wants me to do this because I own a sewing machine, you're not alone. Like, I'm my husband is, but my husband is not a pastor. So I don't even have, like, (laughs) I don't even have a pastor that's in my living room to pick his brain over right. the stuff. The, all those things, investments, pyramids, I don't do them at the moment, but albs, surpluses, anything mm-hmm. that the church is wearing or your pastor is wearing, the deacon's wearing, or, you know, some organists. Acolytes. Acolytes are wearing would all be liturgical or... Ecclesiastical is a really fun word that I like, and but yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride, and here we are. <laughs> Would it be appropriate just to briefly describe? Because I hear all you know, pyramids and albs, and mm-hmm. for those of us who are not really literate, yeah. terms. Yeah, yeah, I mean, can you can we just do like like what each of those means or what they kind of look like? Bree's husband is being ordained really soon. Um, so she that. needs to know, like, she needs a glossary of all these <laughs> liturgical vestments and yeah, pyramids. Get my pen. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> so while we have an expert in the studio, let's give, give Bree the education she needs. Right. <laughs> well, how I usually describe in ALB is what most pastors in the LCMS, I mean, I'll say most, just in my experience, you'll see them wearing yeah. the white robe with a rope or cincher around their waist and a stole usually over that, which is, you know, the scarf type vestment of the fancier fabric with the color of the season. And all of that goes over their 
trousers and their clerical if they're wearing vestments. So I know not everyone does, but that would be an alb. And um, historically, the alb would go underneath and only underneath the chasuble, which is your liturgical poncho, for lack of a better term. Uh, (laughs) That is so perfect. Yes. (laughs) But really, it was a first century, like, overgarment. And Mm. obviously, we're not wearing this as a rain poncho now, but that's where it came from. So that was worn over everything else. And the stole has kind of traveled under and over that, I think, over the centuries. But that would be underneath. And when we talk about the surplus and the cassock, we used to fondly refer to the cassock uh, as being your matrix robes. So the big black. <laughs> I mean, oh, okay. it's terrible. <laughs> That's what it looks like when we it's all on its own. It. Uh-huh. You don't all think it. Exactly. You, you don't wear that by itself, but it goes underneath the surplus, which is made of a surplus of fabric, I would love to say and the angel usually go over (laughs) yeah yeah and that's more your daily offices type vestment you're just having matins or evening prayer vespers and those can be worn with a stole over it it's kind of that's the where you get the audi or a big part of it i think is what's being worn for those services and yes even the chasuble falls under that. It's just a chasuble, if you're wearing it, is in the context of divine service. And pyramids are all over the map. Like, I don't know who decided every time a church is founded and built what they're going to have and how much and where, but they decide that. And then when they come to me and I'm in a good mood and I say, yeah, sure, I'll try to make that. It's all, you know, we have these things. And they're this size and they go in these places and it just every single place is different. But you'll have the altar frontal pretty often, which hangs down in front of the altar and lies up over the top. And then the pulpit and lectern will often have something on them. And sometimes if there's banners on either side of the church that might also be considered part of the pyramids because they also change with the seasons. And then there's all the other altar linens that kind of fall under the pyramid category. But hope that's helpful. No, no, that's that's huge. That's thank you. So now when Matt calls home and he's like, honey, where is my chasuble? <laughs> that you can be like, like, which one? Oh, that's the thing that's you need. That's the one. <laughs> I left it in the dryer. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't put that thing in the dryer on its own. I mean, some some might if they're very here first. I will tell you if you have a straight up conversation with your altar guild right after you get to a congregation, being like, "This is not my gift," they'll be like, "Okay, we'll take this one." Good to know, because they care very much about those those beautiful liturgical garments and vestments and pyramids, and they don't want you ruining them. So. Mm-mm. Well, they're expensive, and for good reason, they're expensive. Mm-hmm. And there, I, there seems to always be one lady or or gentleman, I suppose, on the altar guild that knows exactly how to care for every single garment in a very specific manner, and it is a wealth of knowledge. So there will be somebody who knows exactly what they're doing, <laughs> and and how to get stains out of everything too. Yeah, yes, that. I need that. So Anna, 
apparently you have a wealth of knowledge in this area, and I'm so glad you do. Is this like your lifelong dream to be an expert in liturgical and ecclesiastical sewing? How did you get from presumably normal child to where you are now? <laughs> I was not normal. Um, <laughs> that probably helped. Let's, let's be clear on that. <laughs> I was almost a double major in fashion and music. Now, let's. Almost. That's cool. But um, turns out that just majoring in music is more than enough on its own. <laughs> mm -hmm. True. So I studied at the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University of Bloomington, and it's a very secular school. It's a state mm. university, but they have an excellent sacred music focus in mm. their organ department. I mean, oh. it's incredible. And I, I'm just the... The disconnect between the university itself and what I studied in school is, it's mind blowing. And then right yeah. next door was the building where they housed their fashion department at the university. And I was like, well, it's so close. And I really wanted to study fashion design, but I didn't want to go to New York City for some reason. And turns out no one else in my class knew how to sew already. And I just went, like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> so that was that. But I don't think I knew a lot about vestments or paraments until my sophomore year of high school. We transferred churches to one with a more liturgical focus and actually ended up doing a research paper because I was homeschooled with uh, Dr. Stuckwich. He oh, took me nice. to, yeah, he took me to Notre Dame Library and um, dusted off his like alumni library card. And we just brought back stacks of books. And so I think, I mean, he may argue with this, but I think he just wanted me to do the research for him so I could fill him in on all this. <laughs> <laughs> he, he already, you know, he loved his closet of chasubles and... There was that. So I didn't actually make one until Christmas 2013 after I had graduated from college. And all I had was a very particular pastor, which I love. I love when they're like, I want this, this, and this, and I am this tall, so I don't want it any longer than this. I'm like, great, hmm. thank you, <laughs> because... Sewing for someone who's in Kentucky when you're in the New Orleans metro area can be quite dicey. So there was that. And I had a retired sewing pattern from one of the big sewing pattern companies you can pick up at Joann's that someone had gifted to me. And I was like, all right, let's do this. You know, I had done the research and done my best shot at this paper. I mean, I don't want it to see the light of day now, but that's just how I feel about it. <laughs> That's how I feel about everything I write. So I don't know. But, but yeah, it was just kind of, all right, we're doing this now. And that was it. So what goes into creating, wait, you can take your pick of what object you'd like to, to describe, but what goes into creating <laughs> a chasuble, a stole, uh, an altar pyramid, whatever, whatever, pick one. Like, is it is it all machine done? Mm. Do you do a lot of designing by hand first? Do you do handwork? Is it all of that? What would go into creating one of and those And how pieces? long does it take you? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really hard, and my husband hates this, and I can't peg down how many hours it took me yeah. because <laughs> I have 
four kids and counting and I'm not just sitting there in my mm-hmm. locked, tranquil sewing space producing yeah. art. <laughs> I mean, we can pretend that's what happens, but <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I'm not clocking in. It's kind of like, well, everyone is happy getting soaked in the hose in the backyard for long enough for something to happen. So I realized very early on that I wasn't going to make anything unless someone came to me and wanted a specific thing. And, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I it's not a, I made this, you can buy it. Mm-hmm. That almost never mm-hmm. pans out. And I'm okay mm-hmm. with doing whatever they want. And it used to involve a lot more time than it does now. The addition of an embroidery machine to my arsenal of machinery really changed things because I used to have to sit around and if a pastor said, I want a Cairo on one end of the stole and I want a cross and crown on the other one, I would have to sit around on the corners of eBay digging for an iron-on or just a pre-embroidered patch mm-hmm. that I would put on there because mm-hmm. in, a, in an ideal world, I would draw it out and hand-stitch flawless emblems on the end of each stool, which people did and some still mm-hmm. do. And that's awesome, but I would never get anything done if that's what I did. Sure. And I also like to make things as affordable as possible. I hate charging money. <laughs> Um, so there was a lot of time just like digging around for what people wanted it's a it's a lot easier to find it's called an embroidery file like I am not designing what I'm stitching out on the vestments etc pyramids what have you because I am not a techie person the software for that is extremely expensive and yeah so that's a whole other ball of wax but when it comes down to it Maybe it takes me four hours to make a stole. So that's just a stole. And with maybe if it's a chasuble and stole, I'm guessing 10. But again, I'm I'm not not sure. And it depends on what it is, how much hand stitching there is involved. But very early on, I was like, I'm going to find the way to do this with the machine as much as possible. Because time really is of the essence. For me, between the demands of children, occasional very quick turnaround requests, and my propensity for putting things off as long as possible, uh, which some of my previous customers know all too well, just be like, oh, well, you need it. Like, it's white, so you need it for Easter, so like, you'll have it by then. This is terrible. I've done slightly better lately, but... Yeah, there was a ton of research initially in finding where I was going to get the fabrics from because they would say, oh, I want this color. And it was, well, are we going to straight to CM all me and ordering what they have? Like they mm-hmm. almost always have fabrics available by the yard. But occasionally, right around uh, March 2020, there was a lot of uh, flakiness with the availability of certain supplies that were coming from <laughs> Italy. Uh-huh. I, you know, I don't know what happened there, but... Just work, working around things like that has happened. Or if they say they already have pyramids at their church, but the pastor doesn't have, or they don't have a chasuble and a stool, or it mm-hmm. belonged to the previous pastor. And so he wants one that will match what they have already as closely as possible. So 
There's figuring out what, what we're working with already or what we're trying to match, kind of digging that up. And yeah, I love when people know exactly what they want, but I'm also, you know, open to giving people options, but it can be very overwhelming. I, I think I just like, I'll send these links off and be like, there's a lot. Good luck. And I can't, I really can't tell you <laughs> what to do. Here's the whole internet. I mean, it's not quite that bad, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess I like picky customers. <laughs> Well, and just being being a creative person and somebody who's done some like freelance graphic design, when somebody is like, I have this thing that I want you to do, but I have zero box for you to work in mm. here. Like that's a lot harder to do as a freelance person than when yep. somebody's like, this is what I need it for. These are the specifications. Yes. Can you make the specific thing for me? And it's like, okay, yes, I, I know exactly how to do that. So yeah, I... I understand that. I am really curious, and this is probably in the weeds. What kind of fabric do you actually use for pyramids? You mentioned CM Almi, which is the, I guess, is it like the place to get pyramid fabric and and things? They're the most widely known, just liturgical supply company. You know, the good old Mm -hmm. Catholic CM Almi out out in New England. You know, they have it all. (laughs) I (laughs) I do try to find other suppliers what kind of fabric? A lot of what I've done, whether I wanted it to be or not, is a polyester brocade, which is something that's available from Almi, from various eBay sellers, from smaller fabric warehouses. It's like the liturgical brocade. And those come in a, a lot of different patterns and they come in different fibers. So polyester would be the most inexpensive because mm-hmm. it's a synthetic and then there's silk, which is very high dollar. It's gorgeous. It's like, that's the ideal is to do a silk brocade. And that's available through Almi. Um, there's this company. I've never ordered it from them, but uh, <laughs> because no one's paying that much. I don't blame them. <laughs> there's this company in um, New York called uh, La La May that I use. And they have absolutely stunning stuff and then there's more of a plain woven so think no pattern woven into the fabric wool which you can find most places but Almi carries a nice one that would then come in colors that coordinate with the Mm -hmm. liturgical seasons Mm -hmm. and I've done all those things I've also done a friend sent a specific colored stole and wanted a chasuble to match it and that was quite the quest and that was towards <laughs> towards the beginning of this journey so to speak so a lot of back and lots of back and forth at the fabric store turns out greens are really hard to match <laughs> <laughs> there's so many of them <laughs> so many <laughs> i don't know so yeah it's literally the weeds i like digging through trying to like <laughs> But in in my ideal world, I would only work with natural fibers. So anything but polyester. But I have me and that high horse are, you know, we've broken up. He's galloped <laughs> into the sunset. I mean, natural fibers yeah. are wonderful, but Lutherans have budgets. Um, yes. So I appreciate you working within those realistic parameters. <laughs> I've tried to sell people on um, wool, like, I mean, I live in the deep south. I know what it is to be too warm. And 
even if your church has the best air conditioners and the best climate, I just can't imagine that wearing all those layers with a polyester lined polyester tosmol on top of it is the most comfy experience mm-hmm. in the oh, world. So no, been, it's, it's not. That's where the liturgical yeah. handkerchief comes in handy for wiping the sweat <laughs> off your face. Yeah. Yes. I'm seriously, I was literally thinking earlier today, you know, do I need, should I start marketing that? <laughs> um, yes. Comes with complimentary yes. brow swabber. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. It's a genius idea. Liturgically colored. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that is an actual thing. No. It's it's called a maniple. I don't know if any of you heard it. Of course. There's a name mm-hmm. for everything. Of course. Which no, people they... may be scratching their heads because a maniple that they'd see is like a short stole and it is not to be used for wiping your forehead. But I actually had someone uh, message me in the last day and say, hey, I want, a, I want practical maniples. And I was like, yes, because originally it would have been a a linen napkin that the deacon, the priest, whoever would wear over their wrist. And it was just, it was a liturgical napkin. And oh, um, it's brilliant. become like every other, almost every other vestment item, it's become a decorative thing. But yeah, that's a thing too. But um, where was I going? Nice. I love wool uh, a lot, unfortunately for me, but like a light, it's called a summer weight wool would really be more comfortable as a top layer. I mean, it would still be a top layer, but it does breathe and has all these amazing qualities. So I have yet to do that. All right. Well, sometime when you're looking to give your church or your pastor a very special gift, call Anna Hard and say, I want the wool. (laughs) I feel like you're right. People do have budgets, but Mm -hmm. especially if, you know, if it is a church who's looking to do this, it is the sort of thing you don't, you don't get yourself lots and lots of like it's not fashion. You have one Easter stole, you have one Pentecost. Is as far as what you need, as far as the basics go. So, and then you're going to use them for you know a solid half century. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe it's okay to save up and and then actually go ahead and budget for the for the fabric that is a little nicer. Yeah. Get the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I personally am a fan of the natural fibers. I was going to say, Aaron, don't you source artisanal fabrics I, I and make all your own clothes? Yeah, I do. <laughs> so I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you, Anna. Yeah. Um, Polly said, you gotta you gotta work with your customer and what they're yeah. willing. So. Yeah, this is not throwing shade at anyone because I get it. Like, I am a a musician's wife. I am not telling anyone that they need to fork out tons of dough. (laughs) Yeah. But they are. They're an investment. And, you know, whether you're talking vestments or paraments, you're looking at something that is going to be a thing of beauty and of devotional significance for years to come. Obviously, you know, the albs have to fit. The cassocks have to fit, but the chasubles, true, those can, you know, be worn by pastor after pastor <laughs> after pastor, and they're <laughs> worth a worthwhile investment. And I'm just curious. You mentioned making a switch from a a less liturgical to a more liturgical congregation at at one point in your past, and I'm wondering when you look at them with an expert's eye, how do these beautiful liturgical vestments and paraments help? Well 
heighten your worship experience. I'm, that's not the right phrase at all, but tell me about how they help you in the worship service. I may not be the best perspective on this because, to be perfectly honest, I do get distracted by vestments. <laughs> okay. Which is, which is horrible. <laughs> um, maybe that's a terrible way of putting it. And, and also, to be fair, my childhood congregation, we did, um, they wore albs and stoles. So really, the reason I preach the chasuble is that it is covering the man. I mean, no one, again, it's not fashion. No one is wearing the chasuble because it's fashion. I mean, so certain people, yeah. I'm sure, disagree with this. That's fine. But <laughs> like a, a three-piece suit is fashion. And it's really, it's just, it's covering the man. It's you see the office there and obviously you get the different colors for the different seasons which is the same as the pair was made that's what liturgical colors are you see it the changes in church mm -hmm. from season to season or week to week or day to day depending on how many festivals you've got going on mm -hmm. and yeah i get distracted but that's because i look at it and i go oh man i still have that at home that i need to cut out and make but <laughs> <laughs> But you're so That's right fair. that I don't think my dear husband has ever looked at me and gone, does this surplus make me look fat? <laughs> it's not about him. It's not about looking good. Although, you know, a lot of pastors are very careful and fastidious about their vestments because yep. they because they respect the office. But the clothes are a symbol of the office. And when you put the clothes on, you're no longer just you. You are in the office. And hopefully people will look at that and go, okay, that is a man, but that is also my pastor, the under shepherd, you know, the one who is preaching God's word and serving his sacraments to me and seeing that and not maybe, you know, the fashion that is underneath hidden. So I'm glad that you, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for reminding me of that because I forget. All I see is, boy, somebody should iron that alb. <laughs> Somebody sh like me should have hired a <laughs> It's not my gift. <laughs> well, my tip I give customers, especially the couple unmarried pastors that have bought a chasuble in a smaller congregation that like their altar guild has maybe never seen a chasuble before. I was like, if you if it's really steamy in the bathroom after a shower, hang it up in there. Right. And it could do a world of good. Without touching an iron, it's probably on steam is better than grabbing the iron, so. Oh yeah, and those things just go yeah. on and on and on. There's a lot of fabric in them. Uh, yes. <laughs> How much fabric does it mm. like on average take to make a chasuble? Cause that, that is a lot of fabric. It's three and a half yards of length and that's ranging from like 50 to 60 inches wide, depending on what fabric we're working with. And that's yeah. multiple layers too, right? Yeah, so three and a half yards of the outer and of the inner, whatever that is. We're going to need a bigger ironing board. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> With all of that fabric, what does your sewing space actually look like? Mm. Do you have something that's set up in your house or is it kind of just wherever it happens to land? Are you looking at it? <laughs> no. Yeah, like, is it a table that <laughs> just throw it? I don't know. Where, well, where do you honestly, actually get all of this? <laughs> 
very early on, I set the rules like the workspace cannot be in our room. So okay. we were living in a 600 square foot apartment with two going on three kids. The sewing space was briefly in the kitchen, mm. which <laughs> thankfully was a it was a dine in kitchen, too. So, yeah, anxiety over white fabrics and mm-hmm. um, toddler meals were uh, was very high. Uh, oh, dear. Oh, uh, <laughs> I can feel it. That I feel was the a sanctifying experience right there. I'm sorry. I'm only taking Lenten commissions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they've learned not to throw their food. <laughs> yes. My children are wonderful. I do have a sewing space. It is, as I tell everyone, it is behind my couch in the family room. But we are blessed to have a rather large family room, but it is still a six foot long banquet table like you have in every church basement fellowship hall with enough space between it and the back of the couch for me to um, waddle back and forth between that and the ironing board. And I have a standalone cabinet with mostly organized sewing supplies next to that. And on the other side, I have my collection of sewing machines on a shelf that I found on the side of the road in my neighborhood. <laughs> but okay. but the, uh, the collection of sewing machines is out of hand and not directly connected to the um, liturgical sewing. So it's not, <laughs> it's not the Chasuble's fault. And then... <laughs> And then the bordering on antique sewing machine that I do most of my grunt work sewing on has its own cabinet and is kind of in that same corner. Just I love that. They don't make them like they used to, do they? Uh, no. So don't get me started. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what are the machines that you primarily use? You said you have you have multiple, but what are the ones that are in regular rotation in your so, work? When I had one machine, it's a 2009 Fath German sewing machine that was gifted to me by my parents' senior year of high school. And that has more of the bells and whistles and it's computerized and does more than just straight stitch. I have a Fath. <laughs> sewing so, machine sisters. Yay. Yes. <laughs> I love it until anything goes wrong with it. And then... The frustration is a bit high, but it would, you know, when it would have an issue, it would be a week before I needed to ship something for Easter. (laughs) And I would have to take it to the shop and there would be a week turnaround and I had no backup. And that's around, around then. And when we moved, when we bought a house that um, the sewing machine collection really took off because like, well, I have to have a backup and a backup and, you know. (laughs) Maybe I know your backup needs backup. <laughs> but all the backups aside and all the sewing machine tinkering aside, I do most of my sewing on a 1936 Singer. It is not an industrial machine. It was designed for home use. It's actually the machine, the same machine that was gifted to Queen Elizabeth by Singer. It was this big publicity stunt. Cool. But it's, it's genuinely awesome. I love it. But all it does is straight stitches backwards and forwards, but it does a great job at it. And it's not, I've never had to take it to the shop because I'm its mechanic. So that joined the FAF. And then I somehow have two embroidery machines now. So I have. (laughs) Somehow. Don't know how that happened. I I don't know. (laughs) Against my will. I don't know. (laughs) 
I, I found a post earlier today that said that I was closing Honest Threads in 2019. I'm like, that's nice. So um, since then, I <laughs> since then the, the two embroidery machines have come along and one is a, they're both designated embroidery only machines. One is a brother and does anything that would fit on a stole, like it can do those sizes. And then the one that I got last spring does a little bit bigger. It's still not on the scale of like the gorgeous stuff you see from ecclesiastical sewing, where they do the whole altar frontal and all that. Mm -hmm. They have legit embroidery machines that can handle something that size. But again, my space is behind a couch. So mine is mine is fine and great for what I'm doing. <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, the designs on the very uh, on the stoles and you mentioned once that a, a pastor asked for a Cairo. What are the kinds of designs that you end up embroidering on stoles and and various other pyramids? And do you have a favorite like liturgical symbol yes. that you just love Ooh. anytime anybody wants this? I don't know if I can have a favorite yet because like there's so many I haven't done yet. The one that I'm going to be doing for Lent coming up may become my new favorite. And that's purely personal whatever whim but the passion flower i mean it's Ooh. called the passion flower and it has a lot of symbol the connected symbolism like way cooler than a shamrock sorry saint patrick so <laughs> and i didn't even realize how many emblems there were out there that feature the passion flower and someone chose one and then i went looking for alternatives things that will we work all simultaneously googling what is a passion flower <laughs> I know, I I see this. Right now. <laughs> yeah so um I, I have a passion vine growing in my in my yard that blooms outside my kitchen window and so i was like yes this this is amazing because i'm a huge plant person too so I guess I haven't done that one yet. We just did a um, shoot of Jesse for some Advent pyramids. Yeah. And I, I love that symbolism and that imagery too. And I think anything that, well, I mean, I love them all, but just those, <laughs> those like deep, like deeper nods of symbolism to, mm -hmm. you know, real things that we're connecting. Mm -hmm. And I don't know as much about all of them as I wish I did. I don't know if this is just a, I'm not a pastor's wife weakness, but I don't think it is. I mean, it's just honestly, there's no. so many. Most pastor's wives don't know. Okay, good. Oh, well. right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> but there, there's so many. I would say a lot of pastors don't know the full range of rich mm -hmm. symbolism that is available to them. Mm -hmm. So find out for us and uh, let us know. <laughs> Yeah, well, and a favorite in our congregation here is I love that we have this on our altar and then it's on our pastor's white chasuble, I think. And I did not mm -hmm. make his chasubles. His wife did. It's the the pelican piercing her That's breast for favorite. her young. And it's Rachel's absolute favorite. <laughs> my favorite Chris Mon. <laughs> okay. And I and, know uh, it's completely made up. Like that legend is not biologically, scientifically legit, but it doesn't change the fact that I adore it. So well, thank cares? you, Pelican. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it makes sense too, like in Louisiana. Yeah, oh, Louisiana, exactly. Yeah, so it's, wow. it's carved on the front of our altar and it's just, it's oh, that's cool. such gorgeous 
turn. Is it on the, oh, oh my goodness, don't eat my words. Maybe it's not on the front of our altar. I'm trying to think, do we have, I don't know, but it's on a Chaz bowl. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> don't quote me on that. But it is on a Chaz bowl. And I think I've seen it it's somewhere else, you know, like in local churches. And I think I yeah. just love that. That's wonderful. What is something you've made that you are, I don't, I don't want to use proud. I feel like that's not a good word to use, but like, what have you made in recent memory that you have been tremendously pleased with how it turned out? Most things, I don't think it's going to, I'm going to like it until it's done. It doesn't matter if I've done the thing six times. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the process, I'm like, yes, this, this is the best. <laughs> I did some stoles that they requested well, seven embroideries in all on one of them. And so, like, figuring out the dimensions, I did, like, two colors of fabric. So it was, like, it was the the symbols for the different chief parts of the catechism, you know, and figuring out exactly what colors each part of that was going to be on what color that was then, like, applied to the main stole with it. Like, I made the gold trim, like, with gold silk that, you know, was bordering each each thing it was a lot of like very precise work without knowing exactly what I was doing like where do I want this to lie and all that and then seeing it all come together and go yes I actually like this you know? that's <laughs> so, awesome yeah so sewing is clearly not your hobby this is your business <laughs> do you do any like just hobby sewing or at this point sewing is your business and you do you do other stuff with your other time anyone who can't count how many sewing machines they have because they can't remember <laughs> like, like, i'm sewing other stuff um, <laughs> i love that for you <laughs> And um, no, I'm not taking my uh, my um, piles of earnings and going and buying expensive machines. I love the poor orphan vintage babies and I'm nursing them back to health in my garage next to my husband who's working on his he's working on his classic car and he's underneath like, I don't know, trying to pry Aww. bolts out or whatnot. And I'm oh, like, you guys are made for each other. You're <laughs> like a vintage sewing machine garage, habit and a classic car habit. Just go hand in hand. Yes. yes. If only we know, we just need to find someone else who's like us. There's just like immediate PFFs, but uh, it's okay. Yeah. Wait, so it is your hobby sewing or is it collecting mm. machines? I'm not totally clear on this. Well, <laughs> that's um, a great question. I like to say my hobbies have hobbies. So the sewing's, oh, ho okay. mm -hmm. sewing's hobby is the sewing machines. I got into sewing and I was sewing garments because I, you know, I hate gro my growth spurt. Nothing fit. I just wanted to sew my own dresses and I wanted to wear nothing but dresses. And anyone who knows mm. me is cracking up right now. But <laughs> And then the movie 27 Dresses came out and I was like, that's not enough mm -hmm. dresses. <laughs> so I, I have hit a little bit more of a wall with that, with changing cycles of life and children, etc. And also trying to focus more on the quality of what I'm making and not having the luxury of locking myself in my parents' basement and whipping something out overnight. Mm -hmm. um, I so I know. It's rough. So that has changed a lot, but I still, I, I will always love dresses and I wish I was better at making them 
for other people, because that's a whole other ball of wax. Like you talk about chasubles will fit all the pastures. Well, dress is very much not the case. So, of course, when I finished school and got married and moved across the country to a place I wasn't even sure was real before <laughs> learning I was going to live there, uh, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I thought, oh, somehow I'll be able to work like dressmaking and alterations into my life, have a little side business. But like that just hasn't really been the reality. And it's OK, because then I have mm-hmm. I had three daughters who mm-hmm. usually... They don't usually like wearing what I make them, but, you know, sometimes they do. And, <laughs> but, you yeah. know, someday yeah. you know, I'll teach yeah. them and I'll love sewing for them. So there's that. And I recently reignited my love of so completely opposite of liturgical sewing. It's hilarious. But I have a huge soft spot for my 18 inch dolls from childhood mm, and yes. all the politics of American Girl besides because. We don't even want to go there right now, but I've had these since, you know, the 90s. And I was always like, I don't want to sew for dolls. Like, that's just too, (laughs) it's too frivolous and I can't Uh sew small things. I don't care about sewing for children or for for dolls. Well, I'm pretty obsessed with sewing for dolls. I think it's that I can do do elaborate historical styles that I can't really do for myself. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's so much faster when it's so small. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and much cheaper. I can use scraps. Yes. All mm. right. I used to sew doll clothes. Mm. It's the only thing I ever successfully I sewed for that. myself. And I would never use patterns. I would just like plop a doll down on top of the fabric and like trace around them <laughs> and then sew it together. But yes, doll clothes making is fantastic. Excellent. <laughs> Anna, do you have any, I don't know, do you have any future plans, Mm. ideas, things that you are sort of thinking, boy, in the next, I I don't know, the next open-ended time frame, (laughs) you're like, I'd like to actually try and expand into this area with your, with your sewing business. Yeah, there's outside of business. I don't know, future plans with your creativity. (laughs) We'll we'll leave it at creativity instead of business. Well, if we're talking specifically things that I would list on at Crusum, making baptismal gowns has been on my list for so long. And it's really pathetic that I haven't, you know, followed through. Hmm. I have been. That's another heirloom sort of item that people get. Yeah, that's a great idea. I have made two ever, which is, it's really weird. I made one. For a dear friend, for their for their first grandchild, that mm-hmm. she still had a lot of kids at home, and I believe what happened was she had the she had the pattern in mind, and somehow ended up taking on that project. And I think the family the family still uses that in some capacity. And I did that in high school, and then I finally okay. I finally made one for my own kids, and I was I had been using the family like antique one, which was made for my like three-year-old great-grandfather when he was baptized. It's huge. Uh-huh. You know, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous, but it's gigantic. And it just made me nervous because babies are, are babies. And, you know, you're ba- you know, baptizing your one and a half week old, you have a lot more to think about than great-grandpa's heirloom gowns. So yeah. I went, I was like, I just want the simplest thing that is definitely a baptismal gown. 
And I don't know if anyone else wants that, but I mean, I made it. It zips up the back. So you don't Ooh. have, you know, those beautiful tiny buttons are beautiful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they're tiny oh, buttons and babies don't go, oh, yes, let me lie here while you <laughs> button me in my tiny buttons. I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a huge market for a baptismal gown that is easy on, easy off, and not too frou-frou. Because mm -hmm. uh -huh. we actually we've gotten this question before. What do you put a baby boy yeah. in for the baptism? Right. Maybe you have this like family heirloom gown that is all ruffles and lace, and the dad's like, nah, -uh, not gonna. Yeah. That's not gonna work it for used us. Used to be the thing, but nowadays no, it is not. But so that, actually, that what we have in our times. family is just a very simple white long infant gown that my mother made for my first child, mm -hmm. and all my kids were baptized in it. And man. I wish I had four of those because I would give one to each child, you know, to carry this on. So, yeah, I think this is a winning idea. If, if only I just, if I'll just do it, <laughs> you know, around no. all your other mom stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. You. Like, mm -hmm. does, the you. does the doll need another outfit or should we like finally mm. maybe do this? I don't know. But. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things. I tried to embark on a cloth clerical collar journey because another friend of mine, I guess she made these for her husband and for some of his classmates at seminary. And she decided to, she wasn't doing that anymore. She hadn't done it in years and she has her own little herd of mini me's. And it was like, of course, me and my herd of mini me's, I would love to take on this project. So I <laughs> I have thought about it as again, like I need to just start. And for me, that can be the hardest thing is like into the unknown. Do, do I want to put in the time and effort and do this? And I know people want them, but I also don't know. It's it's an it's another figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. from what fabric exactly I'm using for it, how I'm stiffening it. You know, is it going to be washable? Like what is Please let it be washable. Exactly. <laughs> So that's a whole, that's, it's not even that big of a thing. So, uh, yeah, I took a whole, I took down a list of guinea pigs and then I never, I never made them there. I said it would be free. I just need guinea pigs. And even then I had the baby or something and that was it. Yeah. I really enjoyed the little, like the nativity dolls that I've done. And oh, that's, yes, I saw those on the Ed Crusom site. They've yeah. got these and soft, plushy nativity dolls. They're cute. My yeah. kids adore theirs and they're just it's really fun to make because the pressure's totally off with this like mm -hmm. i want it to be recognizable and high quality but it's not going to hang on the front of a pulpit for decades mm -hmm. true true <laughs> that is a very different type of going yes which is it's just a nice change of pace for me let's be honest yeah also on the site here you have aprons which have got my eyes open i i am a very very messy person like i should probably wear an apron like 80 percent of the time and so i do <laughs> seriously i had to change my shirt before this recording session because we were doing a video call and i spilled sauce on myself at lunchtime like who does that okay so aprons yeah. are our friends <laughs> I, it's either I that or a bib <laughs> Yeah, well, I've been known to call my apron my bib, and I have a collection of mom bibs. <laughs> Perfect. 
Seem right. Just own it. When you live life to the fullest, you make a mess. (laughs) Mm, Correct. So yeah, they're beautiful. You do beautiful stuff. Thank you. Speaking of beautiful, like, what is even the point? Like, (laughs) no, I mean, obviously, we all like pretty things. But is there like a, a deeper theological purpose behind having pretty things, pretty fabric things in our churches when we worship? You said they distract you in a good way or a bad way, I guess is my question. Like, why not just go super simple and save that, as Judas Iscariot once said, save the money and give it to the poor. Like, why invest in these beautiful works of art? To be fair, I may, uh, obviously, I'm more easily distracted by that specifically. And it's also my personality, my cross to bear, what have you. But I think what's distracting me sometimes is, yeah, like, considering that, like, why... Why was this chosen? And not in a bad way, like, well, why? Why did they even do that? Just, you know, just because there's a lot of intention. There's intentionality behind it. You, you know, you hope. Mm-hmm. And it fascinates me how much it varies from place to place. It's not standard. It's not the same. But what you're seeing in the front of the church, I mean, often it's whatever decisions some congregation leaders made in the 60s or 70s and we're working with that or whatever and you know you can throw shade at the 70s it's really fun to do but <laughs> like they gave a lot of thought to this and probably a lot of you know hard-earned money too and I'm always you know talk about inspiration I'm always wondering you know kind of keeping that in mind my husband and I joke that we're the unofficial Lutheran bishops because we've been known to visit five different LCMS congregations in the span of a single Christmas break, you know. So like, yeah, oh, we're checking buddy. in on everyone. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a hard, it's a hard question to answer, but I mean, I am a church musician as well. And mm-hmm. it goes right in hand with, you know, why, why do we want beautiful music in the church? And I think it all comes down to, you know, intentionality and historicity. That's the word I think I'm looking for. Us Lutherans, we're big on our tradition and we don't change. And I would argue that, you know, but it's like, oh, change, you know, starting to use the chasuble is change. Like, no, we went away from that. So it is, a, yeah. you know, we're re- returning a revival of vestments, period, in some cases. But we'll say the chasuble specifically. I don't know. I like pretty things. Yeah, well, I I love how you highlight intentionality, because that I think is a thing that really sets apart the art we see in a liturgical setting from a lot of, you know, just art that you might see out in the secular world. Now, granted, a lot of secular art can have some, at least attempting to convey some very deep meanings, but liturgical art really does. Like, this is where I like pretty things meets the power of the gospel. If you see... Mm -hmm a pelican up on an altar pyramid, you know it's not just because whoever ordered it happened to like birds. It's because whoever (laughs) ordered it happened to like Jesus and loved this story, this image of this self-sacrificial bird as presented in medieval bestiaries, you know, of of a bird piercing its own chest to feed its young. So that when you look at that, you can, your eye will be grabbed by it and say, ah, this is so pretty. I love this. Also, I love pelicans, but also I see the love of Christ in this image and the gospel comes to me in a different, different way there too. So when you highlight the intentionality of it, 
one thing that I did not realize when I was younger is that every one of those pyramids, every one of those symbols, every color, every stitch in there has meaning, and that meaning is Christ. And so that this is also a way of teaching. If you know what to look for, you can find find Christ in these fabric arts, which is kind of cool. I'm glad you do it. Thanks. <laughs> I had a thought. I just lost it. Oh, oh go back to it. I'm sure it was good. No, I was just listening to the Thy Strong Word episode on the Levitical, the ephod, everything. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they make a really good point, which I'm probably going to not quote exactly right, even though I listened to it this morning, about, <laughs> I think it just says something, you know, about the, the skilled artisans made the fabric, but mm-hmm. God, even God is not the pickiest customer because he doesn't tell them how mm-hmm. to, how they're weaving this fabric. It's just that, you know, they are given this, this ability and this gift and uh, they have a color scheme and <laughs> they're sent out to uh, source the materials and make that. So I thought that was really cool. Just talking about beauty and the church and the whole question of vestments can be, well, we don't have a whole chapter in the Bible telling you, you know, and there shall be gold rings at the corners attaching it to this other thing and it needs to have the specific stone on it. We don't have that for mm-hmm. modern things, but I think a lot of these principles still apply. Yeah. Yeah. And we see in the Old Testament that the Lord also loves beautiful things and mm-hmm. thinks that beautiful things are what should be, that, that they should be incorporated in our worship of him, that he is beautiful and he deserves our most beautiful offerings. And that beauty sets those things apart too. Like mm-hmm. when I go into a church that has uh, like a like a level up of liturgical art and vestments that you don't see maybe in every church, like you know where you are, like you know you're in the presence of God. And I, I think that's having those visual reminders that this this is a place set apart because of all of these beautiful things that point you to Christ is superb. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. I, sorry, I got distracted here. I was Googling because when you said that in Exodus and Leviticus, we see God, you know, recruiting these skilled artisans and, and saying, here, have all these scarlet and other colors, threads, and, and give me give me the things that are necessary for the temple. And then I was remembering these, this very specific detail in the book of, of Exodus where he's describing the lampstands as they are to be, and describing that it should have almond flowers, buds, and blossoms, and certain numbers of each. And I, I, I thought, you know, when you talked earlier about how what a delight it is to work with somebody who has a very clear vision <laughs> for what they want, so that you're able to just get them exactly that. I feel like this is just one of those moments where there's a very clear vision of this mm. beauty mm-hmm. that is to be presented in the house of the Lord. And that Old Testament temple is such an inspiration for us, this place of beauty that is for God's people that will remind them of his own heavenly beauty. It's good stuff. As we're winding down, I know ladies in the ladies' lounge have frequently asked about creating vestments, creating stoles, all of this stuff. Do you have advice for people who want to do this kind of thing? Maybe not the super complicated version, but a simple version of a stole or something that they would like to gift somebody. Do you have advice for people who want to do that for themselves, for their church, for their pastor? 
Yes. Um, speaking of things that I've thought about doing and wish I could, but I have to know my limits. I I can't tell you how many times I've sat there doing the four hours of work or whatever it actually is, making a soul lot. How many more hours would it take for me to make some sort of video kind of at least loosely <laughs> yeah. through this? And mm. I have no idea because... I haven't tried, mm-hmm. but it, all that aside, actually, I have helped someone who wanted to make a soul for their sons. I don't, I don't know if it was his ordination, but it was like seminary graduation. And I pointed them to a couple of places. And I think a lady in her altar guild helped her with something like someone with a little more like sewing confidence, shall we say? Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to be a master seamstress to do this. I think attention to detail is the main thing because I've had people be like, oh, you must be so skilled to do this. It's like, no, I'm just extru- like a perfectionist hyper personality. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> but, you know, basting is your friend. That's where you do the big stitches that <laughs> you can tear them out easily if you mess up. If you really want to be careful with whatever, you know, if you're buying some special fabric to use. But I set her in the direction of a book called Vestments and How to Make Them. And it doesn't even have a name of an author on the front. I think it's called Vestments and How to Make Them from Catholic Authors Press. This is something um, Pasto Stuckwich gifted to me when we were doing our whole project. And it gives you just a really in-depth description of every like possible vestment I can think of. There is a little maybe dated and they are in a certain style, but there's so many different styles. It's just, you know, it's one of them. And it gives dimensions for, say, a stole. And they describe what materials to use. I kind of made my own choices on certain things. Like I decided I wanted to have most of them to have a satin lining on it just because I like the look of it. And it matched what a lot of people had and what fabric you're using in the front, which we discussed. And I, I um, direct them to the sources I usually use. CM Almy is a really easy one. It's like you go to their website. I think it's like the bottom left of their like menu. And they'll have like supplies or something like that or fabrics and trims by the yard. And they have that there. And they can probably help with discussing options too. And stiffening. The upstole specifically has been a huge journey for me. It's like, what are you even <laughs> supposed to use? I didn't know. So some <laughs> some didn't have any stiffening in them back in the day. I actually had one person who contacted me a couple of years later and said, you know, can we do something about this? And I went like, yes, I didn't necessarily know exactly what I was doing. So that was a fun unmaking journey. I don't advise... On making and remaking things, try to avoid that. But we always knew. (laughs) But like a a heavyweight sew-in interfacing, I've started using a duck cloth, which is basically a canvas because I really it's it's pretty heavyweight. But I really like the weight. I bought some for the paraments I'm making right now. I was like, yes, this this is what I should have been using all along because it's a it's I I don't think it's going to disintegrate much over time because it's a relatively heavy weight woven cotton and i don't think it has a lot of like synthetic stiffeners in it it just is 
stiff. So it's not necessarily going to lose its its body, et cetera, as much. Here's here's how big. This person, I, I told them to go to La La May. It's called La La May Inc. for um, fringes. If they want to put fringes on the end of the stool. They and they're really helpful over there too. It's like it's a family run business. They have like office space on Times Square. My husband actually went there once and picked something up for me, you know, just casual trip to Times Square. And (laughs) he said, Yeah, it's just like a warehouse, like room, just packed with all these amazing trims and fringes. And they have a lot of those, what I now embroider on a stole, they have them as, as patches. And some are iron on. I would always sew around the edge by machine as well because ironing things on. I mean, if you've ever done an iron on patch, you know what inevitably happens. You end up sewing it on. That's how. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, yeah, digging it out of the bottom of the washing machine after. <laughs> and then sewing it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm always happy to, you know, do my best to answer people's questions about that. If they, it, like, I always tell people, don't be afraid to message and ask for some secrets. I mean, I know you're probably not going out and starting some competitor business. And honestly, even if you were, I wouldn't care that Aaron much. Friends. Yeah, I wouldn't care that much. I'd be <laughs> like, more power to you. Like, we need more Lutheran women doing this because my ideal would be every church has their own on a heart who can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm measure the pyramids and make new ones i mean not to make yeah. every every church lady feel bad that they're not doing that but you know in an, in a perfect world <laughs> i'm at peace although i tell you I, I do tell you if i ever decided to make a stole i would do a practice one with like cheap fabrics before i went and bought these gorgeous ecclesiastical brocades off of almy or lalame or wherever mm-hmm. these are so i'm browsing them right now of course assembling links all these links by the way ladies listening at home we will include in our show notes to the book to the fabrics to the tassels to Anna's Facebook page to Anna's page at Ad Crusum. we'll we'll have we'll hook you up yes so many links all the links <laughs> Anna is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we close our time together or not you don't have to have um, anything you get to start out <laughs> <laughs> Be patient with yourselves, especially if you're if you're heading out embarking on this journey. Like I had a friend's mom who she and my friend and I were both learning to sew around the same time and she was struggling maybe a little bit more. And her mom goes, you must never pick up a seam ripper to me. And I'm just really like, you don't you just don't see me. You don't see me using the seam ripper. That's my secret. (laughs) You know. (laughs) I have like six team members. behind the, and go behind the couch before you use your seamer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't see, you know, the borderline anxiety attacks and the seam ripping and all that. I mean, it's not all seam ripping and panicking, but it, it happens. It happens to everyone, I think. Oh. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. everyone tells me, oh, I did one sewing project at Home Ec and it was terrible. And I go, oh, wait. Yeah. Don't give up. Me too. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I mean, that, that's how it is with any creative venture. Yeah. You're going to have, I mean, you end up with a lot of stuff that doesn't actually turn out the way you want in order to get to the things that do turn out the way you want. And that's just mm. kind of how yep. it runs. That's really good advice. Yep. Just because yeah. you had one bad experience or you made one dress where the bodice turned out really wonky 
Maybe don't let that be your last sewing project. Okay, I'm listening. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Anna, it's been super fun to have you on the podcast. I don't know how it's already been well over an hour. This time just flew by so fast. So thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really fun. Yeah, thank you. And of course, we will link to all of these places in the show notes to Honest Threads on Facebook and also on Ad Crucem and all of the other links that we've run through in the course of the hour. There's lots of different things. So if you're interested in doing this yourself, check out the show notes. There's lots, there's going to be lots of resources there and how you can contact Anna as well if you want to actually ask her questions directly. <laughs> you can join us in our Facebook group as well, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook. Lots of discussion there and several questions in that group already about what other women have done to create vestments and pyramids and things. So there's already some questions and answers in the group that you can search for. And also we are on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. We have some exclusive content there if you want to join us there as well. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm on Twitter at Liturgical Poncho. (laughs) And I'm really not on Twitter at all anymore. (laughs) But I'm still Rachel. (laughs) I think that's our next sticker. After the brick house, you got to make a liturgical poncho sticker. Ah. (laughs) Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org give.